Hello guys and welcome back to another installment of Galley Stories, Stories of the Bering Sea and Beyond. I'm your host Mark Kaler and before we get started today I just want to remind you of that upcoming ALS fundraiser in Pat Dwyer's name. It's going to be at Bad Jimmy's Brewing over on Leary Way in Ballard. It's going to be May 15th from 4 p.m. to 10 p.m. Trident Seafoods is sending their food truck the Fork and Fin there. 100% of all sales of that truck will go directly to the ALS fund. They are gracious enough to donate that for us. Um, also, they're going to be doing, a, if you tip that truck $5, you get a, a, a drawing card for a box of king crab. They're going to give away a box of, oh, hello. of a full, but yeah, of king crab. So another little incentive there. Um, live band from uh, 8 to 9. It's going to be a really good time. Uh, so let's just dive right into it. Today's guest is going to be Laura Hartima. Uh, she has spent time up on the Bering Sea on uh, longliners as an observer. And she's also a published author with a book called Bering Sea Strong. And with that, uh, Laura, welcome. Thanks, Mark. Thanks for having me. This is great to be here. It's Appreciate a beautiful it. day today. I mean, we got the sun out, boats going by. You will probably hear some of that, guys, as they come and go. But Yeah, I mean, I'm glad to ditch work and come out here and talk to you. Glass of wine, a little microphone action? Yep, it's nice. So Okay, so let's. Uh, you've listened to the format. You've got a pretty good idea of where we're going to go with this. And uh, So let's just dive right in. Where, where were you born? And yeah, so I'm a Midwest girl. I was born and raised in Chicagoland. Um, was there through, you know, the age of 17, born into a pretty regular family. Um, my mom was a bartender slash hairstylist, and my dad was a contractor, so pretty regular family. I have a brother, wound up um, moving to the Ozarks of all places, so, you know, city girl goes to the Ozarks. Um, my senior year, yeah, senior year of high school, and then was down there and wound up going to college at the local school. And then I got this degree in biology. You know, it's like this big world out there and not a lot of opportunity in the Ozarks and it didn't quite culturally fit me. And so I had come to Seattle on a road trip the year before and I just loved it. I came across the bridge and I was like, oh my gosh, I wanna be wedged. I mean, I say to myself, like, I want to be wedged between the mountains and the ocean because I just love the environment here. So I came here on a road trip. I didn't really have a plan other than to get an environmental career job. And then I just picked up and packed my truck and moved here. How old were you then? It, this was in the early 90s. So this was the big dot-com era and there was all this opportunity for computer folks. But um, for biologists, there wasn't really all that much. So I was, um, you know, my early 20s, 24 years old. Came here with a whole lot of hope and a dream of getting a career and uh, had a lot of kind of family chaos pulling at me from the Midwest, and so I decided to just pack it all up and uh, take the chance and come to Seattle. So then I got here and I had applied to graduate school in fisheries at the University of Washington. And so while waiting to get accepted into school, which is my big hope, I um, just was waiting tables and, you know, just kind of getting by to pay the bills, um, waiting for this letter to come. And I was working with a graduate student and I thought I was a shoe in I thought, yeah, I'm going to get in with these, you know, these boys. And, you know, I, I would say in the 90s, it was definitely a man, the man's, man's world when it comes to even getting education in, um, in science and in fisheries particularly. And I'd been dissuaded to try, but I just was pretty determined. So. Anyway, so I, I remember the day I was sitting there in my little studio apartment in downtown Seattle and the letter came and I'm like, oh my gosh, this letter, you know, it's so much, so much is in the fate, 
in my fate um, by this letter. And so I opened it up and I read the first couple words and it said, unfortunately, and I had been rejected and I was just so crushed because I had given everything up, moved out here, didn't know a soul, waiting tables with a biology. You know, I think when you get a degree, you just expect to, um, you expect bigger things for your life. And uh, I'd already, you know, faced a lot of challenges and it was like, this is my opportunity. And so that really kind of set me back. Um, I just really felt defeated and, you know, like, oh my God, I'm such a big fat loser. And, you know, I have that's, this. That's still happening today. I mean, kids are getting out of school, you know, with four or even six or eight year degrees and they're not getting yeah. that job in their field, you know. Yeah, it is. And I, that's a little bit of the reason why I wrote, wrote the book is because I really want to encourage people to keep, um, to just not give up on, on, you know, it's kind of cliche, don't give up on your dreams, but I really think determination. I had a guy, one of the professors in college who told me, you know, Laura, your determination is really what's going to get you far in life. So it wasn't about the grades or where you went to college or it was like, be determined and you will, it will come to you. So yeah, so I got rejected and I was just devastated just thinking I'm this big loser even though you know it's relative right because you know I had a degree I earned it I was doing pretty good and I was there but living in Seattle by myself and didn't really know a lot of people but then you know it's like I had this message <laughs> and I remember no I, I actually thought back to this um, ad that I'd seen in college and it was on the bulletin board and it said make fast cash in Alaska you know and I mean up here, that's no big deal because people are already making Pacific, fast cash in Alaska. Yeah, yeah. they they get the they get it, but in the Midwest, I mean, I was in Southern Missouri in the Ozarks, and I saw this sign, and I thought, oh, Alaska, heck no, like that's so far, and the ocean, you know, it's so scary, and and like there's no way I would do this thing. I mean, maybe not no way, but I had higher hopes, you know. I was like, oh, I'm gonna go to graduate school, and anyway, so I wound up. Um, I wound up calling about, you know, make fast cash in Alaska, but it was for an observer position and I didn't really know what an observer was. And so I was in a, you know, in a moment of desperation, I couldn't find a job. I couldn't, um, I didn't get accepted to grad school and I was like, now what? And so it just kind of stopped me in my tracks. So then I called and I um, found out more information. I got an interview over the phone through a contractor to be a fisheries observer and I went through the the training and I discovered what a fisheries observer was which is so an observer is a person um, usually with a science background that gets appointed to fishing boats to observe and monitor the catch so you're not enforcement you're just a person that goes on the boat and collects data so it's you know where you're fishing what you're hauling what you retain, your bycatch, what you're, you know, putting back into the, you know, putting back that you're, you're not keeping, um, you know, the depth that you're fishing, the area you're fishing, the lengths, the frequency of that species, the, um, you'll have some special project like uh, collecting cod stomachs, like what's eating what, you know, or um, aging fish through otoliths, so. Um, Otolith. The Odolith, yeah, the Odolith is, so that's it. Sounds like we're I know, it's talking cool Norwegian. Odolith. Odolith, yeah, yeah, how's your Odolith? Um, so the the Odolith is just an ear bone, and so you cut that out of the fish, and it you can read the age of the fish by counting the concentric rings, kind of like on a piece of wood, you know, you do a cross-section of like a tree trunk. Mm -hmm. 
kind of the same kind of effect. You can see the growth pattern in a fish through their ear bone. So what's the importance of having an observer or what, from your view? Yeah, so, um, you know, like I said, it's not code enforcement, but it's really, they're supposed to, we're supposed to be unbiased observers. So you go aboard and you're not, you know, that's why I think they're not, um, they're not employed by the government. You have a private contractor that employs you and you are supposed to be unbiased. And so these, this is all this data you're supposed to, to take. You're not looking at the needs of the fishermen. You're not looking at the needs of the government. You're just like, this is your job and you go and do it. And it's really to keep the fisheries sustainable. So you're managing the fisheries by submitting your data. And that's how they open and close fisheries and find out, you know, are fish getting smaller? Or are there are a lot more fish in this area or, you know, it's how they regulate the fisheries. So how long was your training? Um, the training was three weeks and it was here in Seattle Sandpoint. And, um, you know, I think in the 90s, you know, things are really different because in the 90s, I mean, this was just after the JV days. So this is the foreign fleets are getting pushed out. It's becoming a domestic fishery. Uh, there's a lot more regulation. You know, again, 1990s, this is before email and the deadliest catch, catch craze and, you know, no cell phones. And it's just very different, um, a different time. So, um, yeah, so it was a, it was a different time. And um, so you get through this three week class, you, you're fully trained up. You know exactly what you're going to do. Now, with that science background, I imagine you felt a little more attached to the job itself and, and getting ready to, to go into this position. But where did, where did you go from there once you got your, your training done? How did, it, how did it progress? Yeah, so you get your three-week training, and they teach you about all the different fisheries. So you don't know what kind of boat. Initially, when you, when you go into this, you don't know what kind of boat you're going to be on. So you could be on a longliner, a catcher boat, a trawler. You weren't on a crab, a crab boat at that time. But, you know, there's a variety of fisheries, and the, there's different um, styles or different seasons. So you get educated in all those things, and then you do a test, and you're you know, they, they show you how to take the data and how to record everything. And, um, you get a, an ID test. So you have to go through a key to actually key out the fish so that you know, you know, what species is what. So, mm -hmm. you know, you get pretty well trained. Um, I'm sure there's improved, there's been improvements because back then it, the, the manual was like 300 pages and now it's like 600. Okay. So you did all this training. That's all done, yeah. right? Now let's get on to the boat. What was that first call? Did you know where you were going? Did you know when you were leaving? How much notice did you have? Yeah, so there, there isn't a lot of notice. You know when the season opens, and so you are kind of prepared and ready, and you know, there's like, you're going out. And the only thing I knew is that I was gonna be on a long liner. And they give you a little information on the boat, but back then it was like sketches in a, in a log book. And I'm sure that's changed, but um, no, I was just super, I was super excited. I didn't really know. I was a little bit fearful that they would switch because as soon you know, you things change. I mean, Bering Sea, there's nothing about this job or a fisherman's job. You've got to be ready. Like things are going to change right away. And so I was really fearful that they were going to put me on a big factory trawler or whatever, whatever it was. I was, whatever it was outside of what I knew, I was like nervous about it. So I, the, yeah, I was like, okay, you're going. And then they shipped me up there and I was, you know, I was a young 24, naive, you know, kind of purists, you know, I don't know. I just, anyway, so I, I go up there and I, you know, they flew us in and, you know, into where? Dutch Harbor. Okay. And if you've ever, you have flown into Dutch Harbor, you know how that ride is. And that was like a Bronco ride in itself. And then we land and then they're like, get in the back of the truck and here we go. And it's just like, bam, 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 you're shit. You know, you get to the plane, you're on the, in the back, I'm sitting in the back of some truck. All by and, yourself? 
Well, I had a, another observer with me. And we thought, you know, they're like, hey, hop in. And I'm like, okay, cool. And they're like, no, hop in the back. And someone is sleeting. And, you know, this oh, is... Oh, uncovered in the oh, back. Oh, yeah, like get in the back. And, you know, like whatever, that's fine. And then we dropped her at her boat. And then they dropped me at my boat. And then they dropped me off in front of this other boat. And I look on the bow and I'm like, that is not the boat they told me I was going to be on. And it turns out it my boat was like the third boat out. So I had this transfer, right? And I had like 80 pounds of gear. And I didn't want to like this little wimpy girl... And I was like, I'm going to, okay, let's do this, you know, but I was so relieved. What were you wearing? Oh, what was I wearing? You know, my extra tufts and oh, yeah. jeans and my army jacket. Because, you know, this is the thing is I just wanted to fit in with the guys. So I I went to the, you know, the army um, surplus and, and I thought I was a real tomboy. I mean, I learned a lot about myself while I was out there that I'm not as uh, tomboyish as I thought I was. But, yeah, I had my, you know, baseball cap and my extra tufts and and um you know wanted to fit in look like you know you look like everybody else so you don't want to draw attention to yourself as a woman so yeah so i did this crazy transfer across three different boats and got on my ship and met the you know it's the usual you meet the captain they give you a little tour and everybody's working and bringing all the produce on board and all the you know all the food and yeah and so it was i was just so excited and then kind of like oh my god I cannot believe I'm doing this you know like all like all times when you push yourself to the edge of something you're uncomfortable with like there's so much excitement in it and then you're also a little bit you know fearful and this is the 90s this is like I could not get out I could not like pick up the phone and freak out to anybody I could not text anybody you can't google you can't email somebody like oh my god I'm on this boat and I'm freaking out so um yeah and then um, you know, met the captain, he seemed pretty cool, met some of the crew, and then, you know, some, I mean, interesting thing happened, you know, interesting thing happens, like, right, right when I got on the boat, like, within an hour, I was, um, for instance, I was, uh, on the boat, and I, and the captain had given me a tour, and he's like, okay, you're on your own, and I'm like, oh, crap, I'm not ready to be on my own, and then I wind up knocking on my door and I shared a room with three guys. And so I just learned where I was spending the next 90 days. And I got on the boat and the guys, uh, I go in there and I knock on the door and he's like, yeah, yeah, come in. And he's standing there like in his underwear, in his underwear. And I'm like, that's fine. But, you know, I just, I'm like this young 24 year old thing. And I'm already looking at my roommate in his underwear. And I thought, this is like when the first hour. And so I was just like prepping myself like, okay, here we go. You know, Bering Sea, baby, let's go. So yeah, that was my first day. So you and uh, three guys in a bunk or in a, in a, in a room. <laughs> not, not in a bunk. Not in a bunk. <laughs> well, that could be an interesting story. <laughs> Though that's, those are the kind of the stories that they make up. But um, no, that did not happen. So, mm -hmm. but yeah, so I shared a room with, with uh, three guys. Yep. So you untie and start heading out? Yeah, so we untied. We wound up going out to a Russian tramper to offload for many hours, and then we headed out to sea. You know, did the the usual uh, you know safety drill, and then headed out. Mm -hmm. Yeah. How was uh, how was all this experience happening? I mean, you, again, you you point point out that you're 24 and yeah, I was 24, and you know, this is the thing. I there's it's so exciting. It's something you've never felt and experienced in your life, and I I always feel like. The Bering Sea is just this, you know, it's not the land, but it's the land of opportunity. And I just feel like you're out there and the men, I mean, we all have this, these same goals, I think, in life. Like, I don't think, you know, the observer and the fishermen are that different. Like, we're all trying to, um, 
better our lives and better our lives on land and you're going out to sea and leaving everything behind and so there's just this beautiful hope that is associated with it and so um yeah so i started heading heading out to sea and i spent the night and we were about 18 hours offshore and so my very first haul I will, I'll, you know, never forget it because this is all, I mean, I've never been out on a boat. I mean, I'd never really been on a boat where I wasn't attached to the dock overnight. You know, Lake Michigan was my ocean. Like I, I was never like out on the big ocean. Oh my God. And I woke up and I just heard this crunching. I was like, what the heck? We're going to die. You know, I mean, I think I thought I was going to die like the first two weeks of being out there. And I w woke up and I went to the wheelhouse and it was just ice we were fishing the edge of the ice and it was ice everywhere and you know they tell you about this stuff but you don't really believe mm -hmm. you don't believe it until you see it so that crunching noise was the ice the, on the crunching hole? noise was the ice yeah and i was like holy crap you know just like wild so um yeah so there was a big learning curve and you know there's a lot of doubt and you 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 want to do a good job and then you're kind of you feel you you're not um enforcement but you kind of feel like an outsider and i felt an outsider's woman i was the only woman um, How many guys on the boat? 25 dudes. Woo. Yep. And um, and then I realized, you know, long lining. <laughs> I think it's long lining because you're out there for a long time. I mean, we're out there a really long time. So um, the trips were long and it can kick and grade on you for a while. But um, ultimately, I just absolutely, I loved it. I mean, I wrote in the book, you know, a lot of the struggles and the uh, tensions and there, you know, there's tensions and uh, you know you know fishing so it's yeah but it's life it's just the way it is out there right there's tensions between what, what the guys what were some of your tensions um you know i mean there's a, there were a lot um i mean i'm pretty pretty lighthearted and i i'm playful and i like to have fun but as a woman you're trying to figure out like what your where your place is and how i'm really friendly but on a boat full of guys you have to watch it you know and so it was always this line of like, how friendly can you be and how uh, intimate? And I don't mean like, you know, intimate, intimate. I mean, I mean like getting to know people because the, the gossip would start. And um, yeah, I just really wanted to get out there and. I can imagine after even just a week at sea, some of these guys were eyeballing this 24 year old observer on the boat. And, and it probably could be equally the opposite. You could have been eyeballing some of them. I mean, this well, is yeah. Way... I mean, the first the first time you're on the boat, you're like, okay, well, who's the cute guys? I mean, you know, it's it's normal. I mean, I think it's normal, but it's about finding your place and finding how you should how you should be in that environment. And so you're always kind of t you don't want to you know you want to have fun and you want to uh, get to know people, but yet you're kind of this outsider. And then if you spend too much time with one person, that's kind of a negative thing. So yeah. So, so there were was, some of those experiences? There definitely were some some of those experiences. And the captain, you know, I had um, the first trip we had, I had this great captain. And then the second trip, the captain had a totally different captain. So, um, it, how you were know. They, how were they different? And how did the crews react to different captains? Yeah, I mean, I, I really do believe the captain kind of runs the whole spirit of the ship. And you probably hear that often. Um, they... You know, I remember even in the safety meeting, you know, the captain was like, look, we have a female observer to, aboard, put it, put away the porn, drop the F-bombs, serve her, do, you know, do all these things to, to help her. And I didn't want people, you know, I didn't want the guys to like change their behavior, but at the same time, you, you want a little bit of, you know, like, you know, be a little bit gentle on the, on the girl. This is her first time. 
Um, so the first captain was just, he was really great. He was very playful and fun and, you know, he, he kind of jeer with me and kind of mess, mess around with me. Um, but ultimately, it was, you know, there's a lot of respect. He ran the boat. I think he really cared about his crew and he was a good, a good leader. And then I had, this, you know, another captain come aboard and the, the whole spirit of the, you know, and, and it's a combination because, again, the guys are out there a long time and I was out there a long time and it's just like with anything, you're locked up for, I mean, you're literally locked up with these people for this amount of time and you're just working and working and working. And so, yeah, so I think that the second captain didn't have the same amount of leadership, maybe the same amount of, he wasn't as invested in his crew. So it was a very different experience. So the whole spirit of the, the crew changed too? Yeah. And, you know, he came in more at the tail end. And so you're out for a long period of time and people, you know, you're just, back then there was no communication. You couldn't, I mean, I think a fax was $15 a page oh. and a phone call was $15 a, a minute on a satellite phone that was breaking up the whole time. So it was very, you know, it, the communications were hard. So it's, it's stressful being out there. So I feel, I feel like part of that is the, the leadership, and then part of it was just the time frame of just being out there for, you know, 30 you, days. Were you receiving any correspondence from home, letters, uh, care packages, or anything like that? No. Nope. Not, I mean, my first trip. Mom, Dad, come on. No, and well, and this is the thing is my mom, my family was kind of the reason I ran away from oh. Missouri, so I wasn't really looking for that support necessarily, but from friends, um, and the guys would mess with me and be like oh yeah the mail buoy you know you know how that is and so no you had to wait till till town and then we wound up hooking we wound up um it's in the book it's kind of funny but um we had this toilet paper emergency so we had we had run out of toilet paper before we filled up our freezers and so we had our sister ship come over and deliver us like cases of toilet paper and all the guys were getting their mail because it came from the office and I was the only one that didn't get mail, and I was just so sad. And they were all, like, messing with me, you know, like, ha, oh, too bad you don't get any mail. But, yeah, so, you know, but but it's a little bit different now, too. I remember, yeah, I remember getting uh, getting mail, being out there for months at a time, and then, then actually getting something. It really changes yeah. everything when you did. But you didn't get any. Well, not when I was at sea, but then when I came in, I would, you know, you'd load up. It's like you get that one flush of, yeah. And and then in the meantime, you're writing letters and writing letters and I know, I know it's very different now, but um, very different back then. Yeah, so. and nowadays yeah. they get, well, a lot of boats have internet on. Or at least when they hit the dock, they can certainly tap into their Wi-Fi, you know. And right. Well, and, and even, I, you know, I, you know, spoiler alert on the book, but I had gone out, I had returned to sea, and I had um, worked on a catcher boat out of Alaska, and then I also worked on a um, trawler. And so I had a couple different experiences. So, you know, each experience that I had, I had gone gone through was totally different i want to hear a couple of these you keep dodging around oh i've had experiences but you're not telling me any of them <laughs> well come on mark so let's go give me one well um give me give me a give me a high moment a high moment well i think my favorite contract you know so i did three contracts i actually really loved observing my book will will show some of those initial conflicts and um you know some of the drama and all that stuff that goes along but that's really figuring yourself out and part of that's where i was in my life and um, and I loved observing. I loved being at sea. I love fishermen. I love the, you know. You married being, one. Yeah. Hmm? And divorced. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, She's next. looking for another one. Next. <laughs> so my favorite, though, I was on this catcher boat out of Alaska, and I loved it. And these guys were so much fun. And they were my How bros. How big was the crew? 
five five guys. You yeah. know, I shared a room with one guy. We came into port every three days. I had my basketball team. We'd hook up to the dock, hook up the cable, had cable TV. We would cook together. We would shop together. Um, I wasn't a big drinker back then or anything, but they were always like, hey, I'll take you out. But the really cool thing is we wound up um, going to the gym in Dutch, and we would play basketball together. And so the Norwegian you, guy... You and the crew. Oh, yeah. It was awesome. I loved it. I loved it. Loved it. Like, I didn't I didn't even want to go back to the Observer Bunkhouse because I wanted to hang out with the crew the whole time. Awesome. Yeah, they were so much fun. Yeah, and we played basketball, and just... It was like my family. And I, I actually really felt pretty I extended my contract because I wanted to hang out with them more and then you know I came home and I did another contract on a big trawler and that was you know every every boat is very I mean the experiences are so different it really depends on the crew the small ones though it's kind of easier to to make those bonds you know you don't have quite as much drama yeah and I think you really really you know you're relying on each other it's your life out there and mm-hmm. so I think you know five people you get to know I think you get to know them more well-rounded than you're just a body and just a, a person. Number and, 24 went by. Yeah. There's 19. Right. Know. Or if you're a schmuck, there's like, instead of 60 people thinking you're a schmuck, there's only a couple people thinking you're a schmuck, you know, mm-hmm. so. Um, but yeah, I really, really enjoyed. I mean, I mean, I even considered, it's crazy, but, you know, give up my career in biology and go fishing. Like, I, I loved it that much. Yeah. 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 Well, so. there's a lot of people who have given up much larger degrees and, you know, tons and tons of life experience to go do this yeah well and that i think that's you know essentially what i learned is that you know you go out there and you think oh i'm the biologist and they're the fishermen and but it's really not i mean we're all out there we all love the sea we all you know i think it's the it's a grand equalizer so you're out there and everybody is an equal and it's like can you work are you a wimp are you a slacker are you going to work hard that's that's really where your value is did you find yourself ever pitching in beyond the observer position I mean, were you helping out? I mean, because oh, on those yeah. small boats, you're cooking sometimes, you're doing dishes sometimes. Heck and yeah. Were you that team player? Or? Well, and I will tell you, in the, you know, when I, in my book, I wrote about it. So on my first book, or my first boat, I was one of, uh, one woman, 25 guys. And I was out there, and I like to bake, and I like to cook. And so I was flaying fish and cooking and with the, with the cook, and I was baking cookies every day. And then, spoiler alert in the book, but I, um... The captain, and this is not the coolest first captain, this is the second one that was a little, you know, had issues, banned, banned me from the kitchen. So I could no longer bake cookies. <laughs> I was being punished for, like, baking cookies and helping, and I was cooking and doing all this stuff, and I was down there, like, tying ganyons and replacing hooks and, coal, you know, fixing the coils and painting the buoys. And, I mean, I was, like, right side by side with the guys helping, like, I... What else are you going to do, you know? Read a book? I don't know. <laughs> yeah, so I um, loved it. And then on the second boat, on the catcher boat, I, I um, you know, we cooked and hung out. And, yeah, we were just like, yeah. Always... So what about some of those uncomfortable positions? Because obviously there's been some of those, too. Yeah, again, it depends on the crew, the leadership, um, maybe some of my uh, maturity, you know, after going through it a few times. The first boat was probably the more, the more difficult one. And um, I wouldn't call it harassment I would say I endured a little bit of bullying part of that is just me being I don't know like naive maybe but um there were there were some things that happened and uh you know I but but my I also was raised by a tough mama you know like a little streetwise and so I kind of I'm not one I'm not like the the narc I don't go and like tell on people 
I'd rather just deal with it personally. And then if you can't deal with it personally, then you move on. So I think that's my way. And I'm, I think I'm looking for the story though. I'm looking sto- for the, the uh, story. Yeah, I'm looking for an incident. <laughs> an incident. You know, a okay. specific time. Okay, so um I would say the only time I mean there were several things that happened, but the thing that I most I think remember was I was and it involves cookies. So I was on the the aft deck and I was um repairing gear and I was it was a nice day and I was repair I was um painting the the um the buoys with the guys and then I was like okay cookie time because this is my thing like this is before I got banned from the kitchen but I um the galley I'm sorry I um I was yeah get that story yeah, right galley stories <laughs> it's not kitchen stories so I was uh it was cookie time I was gonna go bake some you know a couple dozen cookies gross a gross of cookies and I walked into the um, into the storage room, you know, and where all the food is stored. And I was up on the, just climbing up the shelving unit. You know, it's like scaffolding. It's like four, you know, four shelves high. And I was up there grabbing my chocolate chips. And I, I grabbed this bag of chocolate chips. And all of a sudden, and I am not kidding, I, I sometimes think it can't even be possible. I'm grabbing this bag of chocolate chips. And all of a sudden, I feel this like I don't know this grip in my basically my rear end through my Levi's and I felt this bite right I am not kidding I turn I got bit in the butt by one of the crew members and I turn around like what the heck you know and I'm I'm kind of a nice friendly open person and I'm and I joke about a lot of stuff but I just got bit in the butt and I turned around and I'm like, what the hell? And I just wanted to knock this guy out. So I turned around and it, you know, obviously it was one of the guys. And I just turned around and I wanted to bat him like a wiffle ball. I just wanted to beat the crap out of him. And so I got down and I jumped off this shelving unit. And I'm like, what the hell? And the thing is, is like, the first thing, it's, it's almost like I don't blame the person. And I mean, maybe this is to a fault for a lot of women. It's like, you always look at yourself like, what did I do wrong to think that this was okay? And I mean, I, I joke around a lot. So maybe that's part of it that he felt comfortable enough to do it. But um, that was crossing the line. And so I basically whacked his hat off his head and almost punched him, did not. And then he, you know, apologized and, you know, you move on. I mean, that's the thing too. Like stuff happens. You have to, I feel like you deal with the person and then you move on. So, but, but that, but that's not my whole story. You know, that was, that definitely was part of it. And that some other things that happened that I was uncomfortable. And I just started like throwing, <laughs> throwing punches. I was just like defending myself. And then I think there are, the, you know, some other things happened. And then I, I just dealt with it directly and then I think through that I almost feel like then they all stopped it was this moment there was this moment and I had a crush on one of the boys of course because you know you have to have your boat crush because there's cute boys everywhere but um I I just had this moment and I just they just stopped and I think it was like a hazing it was almost like they had to make sure push you to the edge and then you you had to lose your mind on them, and then it was fine. So the ass bite was the edge then? The, well, it was a little bit after the ass uh-huh. bite. <laughs> there was another thing, and it was really close to that. But I think they saw, okay, you've pushed the observer. Oh, I guess the other thing that happened that really, I think even more so than this, that was very 
very hard for me. It was, I was, um, I always brought the guys hot chocolate, you know, like I wanted to be like one of the crew, you know, like I'm, I'm, I'm a hard worker. I'm like, I want to be one of the crew. So I'm just down there and I was giving them hot chocolates and, you know, when they're cold, give them hot chocolate, feed them hot, you know, cookies, you know, kind of a caretaker. And I walked into the gear room. I looked up on the wall and I passed out these hot chocolates and the guys all look at me and they gave me this look and I thought, uh Oh, like, cause this is one thing I learned about fishing. You read the eyes like my, you read their eyes and that is how you know how to react to something. So if it's something scary going down, I just there. looked around, I read their eyes. And if, and if they didn't look scared, it's like, well, I don't have to worry if their eyes are like high beaming and, you know, bulging out of their face. Okay. Now it's time for me to go get my survival suit. So I, I walked in the factory and they just kind of looked at me and I thought, you know, like when somebody's talking about you, you walk into the room, Oh yeah, it was one of those like, Oh, and I looked at them and then I was like, what, you know, kind of like, what is it? You know? And I turned around and they had a uh, centerfold. I mean, centerfolds are beautiful. So maybe that's a compliment, but I don't think so. And they had observer written above the centerfold on the wall. And this had just been put up, you know, and it really made me upset. I, I mean, I hadn't been upset for the most part, you know, it's like, whatever you take the jeers and the, you know, the joking and all that. But that really upset me. And so I just went off on them and ran away and went to my room and then bawled my eyes out. But, you know, that's not the average day. And, again, that was the buildup. And that was... Every day is almost a reset, right? I mean, you, you, gotta, you got a job to do. you got to keep going. Yeah, you, got, you have to get a job. And, you know, the dramas happen. And it's just like in any family. Like, But this is like me and 25 brothers. <laughs> and they... It's, it's it's just I think it's human nature and I think you know we all have to try every day to be the better people and not do that so and then there were but you know I know I don't want to like dog the, the guys because I love them and you know and I just know that we all have our moments and um, that was not a beautiful moment and I don't want to be judged on my worst moment because I've you know not done things I'm proud of so but but most of the time the guys were great you know and they're there to support you and help you through and you know, you just, you're out there, you're all doing the same thing. You all want a paycheck. That's really what it's about. You're trying to better your life. Well, so there's a, there's still a high demand for observers. They're, they're, they're on almost every, well, every boat that I'm, I'm aware of. They're, they're running out there. What, what are some things you would suggest to someone thinking about becoming an observer? Obviously this, on this podcast, we've heard a lot about uh, becoming a fisherman. Yeah. But at the same time, Every one of the fishermen that's been on here has had an observer on their boat. Uh huh. Looking a lot, looking at him a lot like a police officer. Yep. Just kind of viewed that way. I, yep. At the same time, though, heard the exact thing that you talked about. Played basketball with them. We cooked together. We, you know, joked together. We watched yep. movies together. So, what what would be the suggestions from you today for people looking at going to that observer program? <laughs> yeah. So I totally think people should do this. It's really. It's the most. I would say it's one of the most life-changing things I've ever experienced. You're you're at sea. You're with fishermen. It's it's so incredibly beautiful. It's incredibly wild. I don't think there's another place you can go in the world to be so out there. It's just it was just like so exciting. I loved it. Yeah, I've uh, I've loved Alaska since I first went to 1992. Which was about same, just a few years, or yeah, yeah, about the same time period. And, and, yeah. and you're right; it's wild and it's beautiful, and and it's still today the same way. Yeah, it is still 
uh, you hear about uncharted territory and and sometimes you're crossing over points of the ocean where no one has been before at least you could tell yourself that and really convince yourself that no one's been there before yeah i mean that whole even you think of the the bering sea land bridge you know with when the glaciers receded that whole thing is covered with water now i mean that is area that used to be land i mean it's magnificent and the waves and it, it's like the scariest you'll ever be it's kind of like breathtaking beauty the scariest friggin like you cannot be more afraid in some of those moments i mean i remember being in that wheelhouse at night and having the, the gantry lights on or whatever and you're just looking out at this water and the water is coming up over the top of the wheelhouse and you're just looking at this green water and every time you're like we're gonna die and then at some point you just feel like yeah this is okay like you you just kind of settle into it and it's just I just loved it I absolutely loved it I think it's a great opportunity for people that you know if you're a biologist and observing I think is a, a, a great opportunity for people that can't necessarily find you know if you're looking for a job it's hard and it takes time but I think like the pay is worth it the experience you meet incredible guys it's the, it's the mosh pit you know of men really like it, it attracts the extremes and so you're gonna go out there I've met highly educated people I've met people that were uh, maritime you know that were trained at the Academy I've met people that were uh, you know college degrees I've met people that really were down and out I met people that were in jail and the same thing the the common theme is that they're out there it's the land of opportunity and it really is it still holds and you it's the grand equalizer like it doesn't matter your degree it doesn't matter what you know it like are you a hard worker are you determined can you put up with a lot of crap and it's just determination and why can't I, 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 I censor my show <laughs> what <laughs> bullshit can you put up with a lot of bullshit crap well you know <laughs> Yeah, so I just feel like when it's, the mic's um, not on, guys, she swears oh, like a yeah, sailor. Oh yeah, I'm a trucker, <laughs> like a fisherman. <laughs> well, we're, we're about out of time here, Laura, but I want to real quick give you a little time to talk about where to find your book. A little plug here. Yeah, so my book is called Bering Sea Strong: How I Found Solid Ground on Open Ocean, and it's available on Amazon. It's available at Barnes and Noble, Walmart, or um, a lot of indie stores you know your local bookstores so um yeah i'm i'm hoping people will be find interest in it i think it it has a, a nice balance of uh you know this inner story about overcoming difficult circumstances but it's also really funny and it's really you know it's not the deadliest catch it's not all gloom and doom it's there's a lot of humor in it there's a lot of everyday stuff that goes on a boat that i don't think a lot of people really see the everyday stuff so I, I hope I can offer that, and I hope it um, makes people laugh and makes people just kind of, you know, look at look at the fishing industry a little bit differently. Okay, so coming out to our ALS event, coming out on May 15th, you're coming to that, is that I'd correct? I'd like to, yes. So remember, guys, to come out on May 15th, Laura's going to be there. Hope uh, to, yep. She is looking for a fisherman. Oh, stop. She's single. <laughs> uh, so hopefully you come out and meet her. We'll put her in something nice, bells and yeah, whistles. Yeah, might and... wear something you know, beyond Grundens and extra tufts. So just a reminder, uh, ALS fundraiser May 15th, uh, that's a Tuesday. Bad Jimmy's Brewing Company on Leary Way in Ballard. Again, Trident Seafoods is sending their food truck. And I keep saying that because we can make a lot of money for the ALS with this truck. Wouldn't you think? Yeah. At $10 absolutely. a plate and right. all that. Every, I'm going to eat like crazy. Yeah, it's a great thing you're doing. So um, good for all, you. all of that's going to go right into that Pat Dwyer fund. Yep. And then that $5 raffle for the, for the, 
a box of king crab. Who's not? Gonna I'm put... going to have that. That's mine. Yeah. Well, I'm going to put I'm going to put mine in mine. too. <laughs> you know, I might have to tip a couple extra. You know, a little extra to get a couple more tickets. But um, yeah, so it's going to be a great event, guys. Just come out and help help support us. Not us, but the fight for ALS. Yep. And uh, we will be doing a live podcast that day. Can't give too much away on that one, but it's it's going to be fun. Laura, you have anything you want to say before we wrap this up? No, I just want to really thank you for this opportunity. It's um, a really cool thing you're doing, and I love uh, the, you know, the whole fishing lifestyle, and it really affects everybody in the Pacific Northwest, and I think you're doing a really good good thing here, a good service for getting, you know, the, the fishermen are out there for a long time, and their stories aren't always heard, and um, lots of uh, media coverage now with the deadliest catch, but I feel like um, they all have really cool stories, and so I think you're doing a good thing here. I appreciate that. Any preferences on what this man's going to be? I mean, how tall does he need uh, to be? He has to be five ten, be able to bench press me, and um, you know. Okay, five five ten. If you're over five ten, show <laughs> Come up. On. I'm just kidding. <laughs> all right, guys, we've enjoyed recording this one today, and uh, and we look forward to seeing you on May fifteenth there at Bad Jimmy's. And uh, we'll, we'll see you next time. Thanks, all.